Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney Magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Are you looking to plan and book an upcoming Disney vacation? Contact the Tierra Talk Show's official travel agent, James from Destinations in Florida, by visiting destinationsinflorida.com backslash tiara for a free quote. The link is also included in the show notes on our website. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. This week at the Tierra Talk Show, we welcome back our cast member corner segment in which we speak to cast members of the Disney theme parks from around the world. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, Epcot and Disney's MGM Studios cast member, Chris Eiler, to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good to be back. Woohoo! I know, because uh, as we were speaking off air, we have not spoken within maybe three years because I had you on my old podcast. We discussed you working at the studios, of course, during its peak, and also Epcot. So why don't we why don't we actually start with Epcot because that was the first job you had for the Disney company. So tell us about how you started working for Epcot. Sure. Well, it was back when the the Epcot was first opening. It was it opened in October. I was actually technically 15 at the time and in high school and I had gone there uh, as a tourist with uh, uh my family and a church youth group and but uh when I was in school Disney representatives were there with a booth recruiting people to come work for the holiday season. And I think this was probably in early November. And um, I was interested. I've always had an interest in Disney. And one of my original uh, goals in life was to become a Disney animator. I was a good drawer at that time. I I, I saw the booth and I went over and talked to him and I said, I'm interested. Tell me more. And uh, they sent me the recruitment pack. And basically, before I knew it, I was already hired. They they called me out to do an orientation. And they said, we'd like you to start for Thanksgiving uh, during that break. And I said, well, technically, I can't. I don't turn 16 until December 15th. And so I, I got the call back when my new start date was. They brought me in for the second part of the orientation. And I wasn't even really sure what, what I was doing. Uh, I was so young and naive at the time. I was just kind of following the herd when I was going through it all. But I, I found out I was working in foods. I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but they they started telling me I was going to be in outdoor foods, which meant that I was going to be selling the ice cream and popcorn in the stands. And I said, okay, that's kind of cool. I'll do that. And um, But then when I got to the, my first day, they said, no, you're actually, it's too cold outside. Uh, I know the Florida winter weathers aren't that great, but it's still not great ice cream selling weather. So they decided to put me in uh, the employee cafeteria, which was called the World Premier Cafe. And I was scrubbing pots and pans for my uh, my first few weeks on the job there during the Christmas holiday break. It wasn't really exactly what I was picturing I'd be doing, but it, it was a, my first job. So 
for uh, spring break was the next uh, time that they were going to hire me. And those types of employees are called casual regulars. You come in during the really busy seasons. From there, I continued on with that department at Epcot until the studio opened. And about two years after we talked, uh, the last time we talked, one of your videos went extremely viral thanks to somebody who posted it on Reddit and then it actually graduated to being announced on Yahoo News and this video has gotten a million views and it's just, you guys are at a 7-Eleven at 2.30 a.m. in the morning in 1987 with just random people in the store and you're you're testing out your video camera that you had just bought, correct? Right, yes. I was now in college at this point it was a couple of years after I had started, and it was a summer night. I believe it was uh, a Thursday night because that was, I don't know if it's changed, but back then it was Thursday was payday at Disney every week. And the 7-Eleven was right outside the, the gates of this apartment complex. So me and a few friends were there. I had just bought this video camera because that was what I wanted to do after I got into college. I wanted to start studying radio television, and I used some of my Disney money my paychecks to buy a, a home video camera and it was it was the it was the 80s so that's when home video cameras first came on the scene not everybody had them but working at Disney World you did see a lot of them because as tourists people brought their cameras to to capture all the the fun during their vacation so I'd seen them a lot and I wanted to have my own camera but I wanted to do non-touristy stuff and do funny things with my friends and I carried it around with me everywhere. So we stopped at the 7-Eleven to get some Slurpees and my friend grabbed the camera and just started interviewing people. And as they came in and what ended up happening, my friend, my friend was very good at the improv and had done kind of a little bit of stand-up comedy type stuff. And he was, uh, he was very fast on his feet and he was funny. And uh, when we got the, I kept the video all these years because I just thought it was funny, but I uploaded it to YouTube about five or six years ago. And then about a year and a half ago, people started finding it through, like you said, you read it, started posting it. And what people seemed fascinated with was not just the funny jokes that I thought were fun, uh, was the reason why I kept it, but also because it was kind of a time capsule from the 80s of people hanging out, which you didn't see too much. This video was unedited. It was pretty much six straight minutes of us interacting with people as they came in and uh, to the 7-Eleven, and it almost looked like it was orchestrated and scripted and people queued to enter at certain times the way it turned out. And each person was like their own little individual character. Uh, they had the, the typical 80s preppy guy with a popped collar. You had the, the international exchange student from France and uh, uh, all these different types of people that were coming through. Most of them were Disney employees. Some of them were 7-Eleven employees, but it was it was kind of a a, a unique, a unique little thing that happened there, and we captured it on video. And I guess that captured people's attention when they were watching it in 2014 and 2015. So it, yeah, got about a million and a half hits, which was kind of cool. So that was, I yeah, guess, yeah, definitely that was, a different time, you know. And and you wrote a. a wonderful blog post about more information about the video, including the video, which I'm going to include in the show notes for listeners to check out. If you want to pause this interview, check out the video. It's a really, really funny video. And Ken and you got together this past year in 2014. Was it 25 years later or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, even... close to, to yeah, 20, 
I can't remember the exact. Something like that. But <laughs> but you guys got back together and went to the same 7-Eleven, which is owned by a different owner now, I should mention. But uh, you, you kind of did the same type of thing. And, and I watched both again. And you could see there's definitely a different dynamic uh, now than there is uh, back then. So, you know, I thought that was really cute that you guys did that. That's I think that's a great throwback Thursday post yeah. and something. And, and a lot of people like seeing the, uh, the differences between them. And then we get into Disney's MGM Studios opens in May of 1989 and it's it's a big hyped event and everybody's so excited to see what this park is going to bring because it's going to bring the magic of TV and film to its guests who walk through the door. So when you heard about this park about to open, you must have been like, okay, well, I want to get into the TV business. I really want to do that. I'd love to work in a park that is actually focused on that. So were you one of the first people in line saying, I would love to work at this park. Please let me work. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, uh, the, I saw the announcement and uh, it was in the the, empl- the cast member newsletter, which was called Eyes and Ears. And uh, I saw that it was coming, saw the preliminary sketches and I go, well, this is perfect. I'm graduating college the year that this is opening. And uh, if they're bringing all this production to the central Florida, this is going to be awesome. Uh, great timing. So I thought it was all working out as, according to my plan. Uh, I don't even have to move away. I'll stay right here and work here at the studio. So my first, my first uh, thing was, yeah, I, I'm selling ice cream and, and drinks outside at, in the outdoor foods department at Epcot. I'll just transfer over to the new one. But we were working actually before the park opened to the public. It was, uh, they kind of had a soft opening and they had days where other cast members could come out and ride rides. And that was kind of neat. And I, I, and actually before I started working at the foods department as a Disney employee, I was actually doing some production. They were actually filming a TV show there called Superboy, which was kind of the adventures of Superman before he was in, uh, uh, while he was in college before he became Superman. And they were filming at my college, all the college outdoor scenes and for all the studio backlot scenes, they were doing it there at Disney MGM Studios. So the soundstage was actually fully functional before it was open as a tourist uh, to the to park guests. And so I was doing that, selling ice cream. And then MTV came in. A lot of people don't know this part, but MTV was there doing their game show called Remote Control, which was a TV trivia game show with Adam Sandler, Colin Quinn, and Ken Ober. They were doing that on one of the sound stages too before it opened to the public. And uh, they actually came and left before it, it opened to the public. And I did that. I was cue card boy on that. It was kind of neat to get on, in on the ground floor of that. And then you got to work as a backlot tour host. Unfortunately, the backlot tour has been closed. We were we were really emphasizing the fact that they kind of removed cast members from actually physically speaking to the uh, guests who were on board the actual vehicles, the ride vehicles, so they could pin it, they could point out things that the guests wouldn't get to see elsewise without a pre-recording of the tape because there's things that are always rotating in and out. And we were making a point saying that that kind of loses that human aspect of, of interacting with a cast member. It was very sad when that happened. Yeah, after doing the outdoor foods thing, I did audition and became the tour guide and uh, did the backlot tours. Uh, they, they had a couple different tours. They had one where they walked you through the sound stages, kind of the, called the walking tour. Then they had the, 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 the shuttle tour, which went through Catastrophe Canyon. 
and uh, it was kind of a traditional backlot tour. At times they had them combined, at times they had them separated. Uh, later on, they kind of cut it down and did a short version of it. And then when the studio stopped doing production completely, there was no TV shows or, or movies, and they weren't even recruiting it. It became just kind of a backlot tour of what goes on at a theme park, which was still interesting, but it, it wasn't as exciting as seeing Tim Allen over there shooting a, a commercial or the Golden Girls house where they were actually filming some stuff. And so it, uh, to, to, in my opinion and some of the, my coworkers, it was kind of, it kind of lost a, a little bit of its magic back then because it, was, it wasn't really a tour of a, of a TV or a film studio anymore. And then they eventually, because of that, the popularity of the tour kind of downsized too. A lot of the uh, the park guests weren't going on it as often as they were pre- previously. So they were looking, uh, I, I imagine they were looking at ways to cut back on spending. They, they didn't do as many updates to it anymore. Back when there was filming going on, you kind of had to improv things because you didn't know what you were going to see on the backlet. So you had to be ready to go on your feet. They would give you updates each morning when you got in saying, here's what's filming back here. Be ready to talk about this. So when there wasn't anything random to see anymore, it could be pretty much scripted and you didn't have to vary from the script. So they just said, hey, let's cut the budget and put a pre-recording on there. So, And honestly, uh, I'm sure part of the reason was some of the tour guides, uh, you know, kind of went off on their own little script at times, cracked their own jokes. And sometimes it was fine. Sometimes it wasn't. Not everybody could pull off these jokes. <laughs> so they were always I understand saying, that, yeah. <laughs> They wanted to streamline it and just say, okay, everybody has to say this. And one way we could do that is just to record it. And then they officially closed it this past year, which was, I I thought it was pretty abrupt. I went in June and I was like debating whether or not to skip it because I was like, oh, it's going to be here next year. And I didn't, thank goodness, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But they, uh, well, yeah, it was kind of sudden because we had the studio, we just had the 25th anniversary of the opening of the studio and all the tour guides that were there for the grand opening had a little reunion. We had our, it was an unofficial gathering. We all, we actually rented out some time at the park and uh, did a little dinner, watched the fireworks and gathered and did a, uh, we rode the, the tram again, but we didn't know that was going to be the last time ever we, some of us were going to do it. Like as soon as the reunion reunion was over, a few weeks later, we heard that it was closing down for good and it was never going to happen again. So we were glad we got the reunion in, but we might have done it differently. I really wanted to ask about some of the some of the backlot tours that you gave. What was one of the most memorable experiences during those tours? Did you have a specific celebrity that you got to take privately around to show around? Well, there there was a lot of celebrities that came and came through the tours and. If you were driving a shuttle, you'd always say, "Who's?" You'd hear rumors that somebody's back there, or if you did the walking tour, somebody would follow you. I, I, I know uh, Conway Twitty was on one of my tours, and I know there was a couple others I'm not thinking of. And Michael Jackson almost took my tour once. And one of the other memorable ones to me, and I, I know this is probably uh, showing my age, and the, the the these names are probably starting to fade from people's memories, but. Uh, Siskel and Ebert were the the big movie critics. That's where the uh, on the tour we brought them into like a blue screen room and put a couple kids on top of a, a giant bee and made them look like they were in a scene from Honey I Shrunk the Kids. And then after we played the video back for everybody, Siskel and Ebert would come on and do a little quick review and it got a laugh. And uh, they were there at the park a lot. They would shoot their Oscar specials there and do some things. But uh, Gene Siskel came and he followed. Uh, my tour for part of it and uh i was i was actually stationary on this one tour 
doing a little spiel about um, how map paintings were used. And he stayed and watched my presentation a couple times. And so I took that as a compliment. <laughs> but uh, that was kind of cool because I was big fans of theirs and watched their show a lot. So One story you did tell, which I thought was very interesting, uh, because we didn't know where the prop was now, but you're talking about the Dead Poet Society prop. In the room, I was just telling you about the where I was uh, talking about the map paintings. That was called the Special Effects Workshop, and it was part of the walking tour. After a while, they took that off the tour, but the but in this workshop was props from all types of movies. Uh, uh, there was a, a lot of the characters, like uh, the Tin Man and TikTok from Return to Oz, were in there. Uh, the head, some of the mechanical heads from Turner and Hooch, that Tom Hanks movie. They had uh, this candlestick and a book that Robin Williams used from uh, Dead Poet Society. They had the giant ant from uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids, and a lot of other random props that you wouldn't even think of were all scattered through there. And they had the the chess table from Star Wars, uh, where uh, Chewbacca and C-3PO were playing that three hologram chess table that was in there. And uh, it was it was pretty neat to see them all up close. But uh, after they closed that section off the tour, that workshop still stayed there. And for many years, when we went back, it, all those props were still in there. But this uh, this past summer, when I came through for the 25th anniversary, I wanted to show my daughter, and uh, we got permission to go backstage and look in that room, but it all it all had been replaced. So I don't know where any of those props are right now. And you're a great photographer. I should say that you you love doing film, and I love that the, these videos, I need to, I'm going to link your YouTube channel below in the show notes, okay. because I love seeing the cast member videos you guys put together. It's a lot of deja vu, because one of the videos, uh, you ask what has happened in this year, you know, and the, one of them was the baseball strike, and then the other was O.J. Simpson case and then the uh what was her name um uh, who got hit in the knee oh gosh nancy kerrigan nancy, nancy kerrigan, kerrigan. Yeah. and they're so fascinating to watch because you get all these opinions not just from you know the cast members but from some of the higher up managers and i think that that that's it, it makes it more of like a fun community and they must have been so much fun to put together it was my last uh, the, the year i made that one was 1994 and it was my last year at disney before i left the parks to go work in local television. But uh, I wanted to kind of do a little capture, just not for, not just for myself, but for everybody that was there. And we, ha- we usually had an annual, like most uh, office uh, uh, places, they have like an annual holiday or Christmas party. They, uh, we, our department would have one. And uh, I wanted to do this video and then show it at the end of the year. But I, I got the idea the previous year and I said, well, if you'll allow me to do it and like once a month, I'll go out and try to capture some stuff and, and just make it kind of a time capsule thing as well. So yeah, we interviewed everybody about what was going on with the company, what was going on in the world, uh, what things were happening there in the park. And uh, it actually ended up being a little time capsule. So it was kind of cool. Well, now I have three fun Disney questions I always ask my guests, and they're called the Fab Three Questions. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to watch over and over again? Well, for a long stint, Robin Hood. I'd watch that and I'd know all the songs and uh, I drew the characters, got all the coloring books. For some reason, I was nuts on that. And then that was followed up by the rescuers. But our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? (laughs) Sully. (laughs) And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this moment, what immediately comes to mind? 
Well, this is probably isn't too exciting, but probably when you wish out upon a star. I think that's probably the one that pops in my mind. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show, Chris. This was a lot of fun, and I love seeing all your videos, so I'm going to link them, of course, in the show notes below for people to head to your YouTube channel and subscribe to it. And my last question to you is, as a cast member, can you give me one word that describes your entire experience working for the Disney company? I guess great. I mean, it was a, good, it was a, a great experience, so...